This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. My special guest host is Christopher O'Brien. Today, we are having what I call the ultimate abduction roundtable, partly because I'm an egomaniac. And I think if I do something, it should be ultimate. But if you listen to the guests, you'll see why. We have, and this is in alphabetical order, so there's no egos involved, Bud Hopkins, Dr. David Jacobs, and Kevin Randall. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks for asking us. Now, before we proceed, there's been an online controversy that has flared in recent weeks about the nature of Dr. Jacob's work with one particular abductee. And we won't mention the name because the name that's being bandied about online is a pseudonym. It's not the person's real name. So we understand that from the outset. And we understand also there are two sides of every story. And so far, we've only heard the other side. Okay, so Dr. Jacobs, do you have any statements or expressions to make about all this? Well, uh, let me just say that that uh, in 20, uh, 24 years of doing this work, this is the first time anything like this has ever happened to me. And there is, I can assure people who have uh, been interested in the abduction phenomenon, there is a, a very different side to the story that she presents. And I will be putting something up on my website. I, I've, uh, I've determined that's probably the best thing to do although most mental health professionals have warned me against doing that uh, because all that does is energize her and make her stalk me even more. And uh, her sort of obsessive and stalking behavior has kind of been at the root of this. And so I've been at a loss as to what to do, uh, and, but finally I've, I have decided to, to respond. So I think probably by the time this show airs, there should be a, a response on my website and, and people can, can do with it what they please. But I guess that people just know that, that there is a, <laughs> that, that it is not as clear cut. I'm not as completely and totally irresponsible or, and, and or crazy as she makes me out to be. I, at least I hope I'm not. Well, of course, I have to say before we even go on that when it comes to crazy, I resemble that remark and I can be pretty crazy myself, and I guess we are in some ways. But now, they don't want to involve you, but you know the person involved here too, Bud. Do you have anything to yes, say to add mm-hmm. to what Dr. Well, Jacob says? Let, let, let's, as Clinton would say, it depends upon what the no, the word no is. I don't know this person, and uh, because this person does not live in the United States, and I've never met her, but I was a recipient, more or less out of the blue, years ago, of a gigantic box from her. Um, She was sending me data about her life, and I would say that this box was uh, almost three feet by a foot and a half or something like that by a foot. This is huge. 
and um, I, I looked through the material, and she had um, recorded every single change in temperature of her body and uh, menstrual periods and all kinds of of uh, data about her life and issues physically. So there was so, such a vast amount that I felt there's something that I didn't want to get involved with, that uh, this was a, a very needy person, and uh, I wasn't sure of this person's mental stability and so on, or emotional stability, I should put it. And so I, um, got, I didn't get involved with it, but I did uh, uh, look through the material she sent originally. It was all sent back to her. She wanted everything shredded or something, if I remember, but I... Uh, simply uh, am aware that this is not a typical kind of abductee. This is a very obsessed person about uh, their own experiences, whatever they actually are. Okay. That's where it goes, ladies and gentlemen. I know there are going to be a lot of questions about this later, but David Jacobs says he will have something on his website about it, and let's move on. Let's move on to the topic of UFO abductions, how they're done, what we have learned from them. Now, I don't know who wants to take this, but feel free to chime in wherever we go. Now, over the years, obviously, the nature of abduction research has, in and of itself, been the source of some degree of discussion, controversy, whatever. And I know you, Kevin Randall, have had concerns, and maybe we should voice those concerns and kind of bring them up into the open and try to explain why things are done the same way or different ways. So, Kevin, what are your concerns? We have abduction research going back into the 1960s. We have Betty and Marnie Hill, of course. We've had lesser amounts in the 70s, and, of course, it all kind of exploded in the 80s and the 90s. But it seems to me that the abduction research hasn't changed at all. We haven't learned anything from the research that we've been conducting we haven't uh, formulated new questions. We haven't tried to validate some of the research that has been done. We're doing basic case studies, and that's all, all we've done in the last uh, it, it, since, since almost from the beginning. And I, I would like to see it progress into other areas, other arenas, so that we could learn something more about it. There were questions when Russ Estes, Bill Cohn, and I did our uh, work in the 1990s in, in our book, that, that questions weren't being asked and, and things that were coming up, uh, what we considered anomalies in the, in the statistical analysis. And we thought that, that if we explored some of those, our blood types, are, are some blood types more prevalent in the abduction phenomena than they are represented in the population? Uh, are more college-educated people represented than high school-educated people? All sorts of questions, statistical questions about the nature of the abductee might tell us something about what's going on. And that when some solutions have been suggested for part, and I stress that part of, of the abduction phenomena, sleep paralysis, for example, and I know that when it's brought up in, in the UFO community, and not, not necessarily with, with Bud or, or David Jacobs, uh, it's just that, well, some people are uh, awake when they um, are abducted. And, and, and my response is, yeah, there's a phenomenon known as cataplexy, which is basically sleep paralysis when you're wide awake, but it's always associated with narcolepsy. So the question becomes, are there narcoleptics more prevalent in the abductee population than in the general population? No one has bothered to, to research that question, and that might provide us with a little bit of an answer, not necessarily the whole thing. So we look at all of those sorts of things that can be done and really haven't been done 
from from the very beginning. I was talking to Kathleen Morgan, who was, of course, the niece of Betty Hill, and I mentioned that the uh, symptoms of sleep paralysis mirror the symptoms of alien abduction, and nobody has really come up with a way of separating those two populations. And Kathleen Martin said that some of the preliminary research that she had done suggested that the abductions are described in color and sleep paralysis is described in black and white. Now, I haven't been able to validate this yet. I haven't had a chance to validate it. But if that is true, then we found a discriminating factor between sleep paralysis and alien abduction. And I think that's an important area of research to follow. But we don't seem to follow up on those questions as readily as we should. And I understand it's a question of financing and time and research facilities that, that sort of inhibit what we want to do in abduction research. But that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from on some of this. Bud, you want to respond to that? First of all, part of the, the problem is the problem of triage. Uh, people are coming with uh, their experiences, which are, have been to them, let's say, very traumatic, and they're feel, feeling quite a lot of them uh, are feeling uh, the symptoms of uh, post-traumatic stress. The uh, issues that, that uh, Kevin Randall has been talking about that he are really focused on exploring qualities or aspects of the abductee rather than anything about the uh, experience itself or the uh, physical evidence associated with other witnesses connected with the sighting which, uh, of course, is something that is much more important to me because it, uh, it builds the, the case that these things are actual physical events that really happen in the real world. Now, I have looked into a few things, uh, such as blood types, and uh, have found no uh, real patterns there whatsoever. I've never heard anybody report uh, that they were suffering from narcolepsy. Uh, it's the kind of thing... I suppose one could ask, but narcolepsy is fairly rare. Now, the sleep paralysis issue that he mentioned is, of course, uh, really a non-starter in the abduction field simply because such a vast number of abductions take place in daylight with people involved, uh, even witnesses in a few cases, but people are driving in the car with six other people, and they all are recall, re, uh, recalling the same kind of experience. Uh, there's the nature of, if you look back to the Hill case and uh, the, some, of the, some of the early classics, uh, Travis Walton and, and the um, Pascua case, yeah, all three of those involve more, two or more people, and um, everybody is wide awake. So, you know, you, you can't really bring um, a theory into this that doesn't even begin to, to match the data in uh, the majority of the cases. So uh, I, I understand it can be a, a problem, but what happens, I remember, is in one case I was dealing with someone who said it was sleep paralysis, and what happened was the uh, people um, were, they were children, and at the time of this happened, they were adults t telling me about it, and uh, they were floated out of a window, apparently. They didn't remember that consciously, but the conscious fact was that they were found on the ground away from the three stories down, uh, one lying atop another, and they seemed to be 
in a sort of catatonic state. They couldn't speak and were taken to a hospital and checked out to see what had happened to them or doctor's office. And they were physically okay. It was, but the idea that it took them uh, perhaps uh, a half an hour to 45 minutes to sort of come out of the state they were in, it's very hard to call something like that sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is almost inevitably a very brief uh, uh, experience, and these abductions and are, are not. But I think we've got to focus on the uh, experience itself rather than concentrating on, shall we say, the victim. But, mm. but you see, when you say sleep paralysis is a non-starter, you're rejecting that idea out of hand. And sleep paralysis may fit some of the cases and eliminate eliminate them from the data pool. So I'm yeah. not suggesting that sleep paralysis explains every case of alien abduction. What I am suggesting is that yeah. some cases may be may be sleep paralysis, and I'm, it, it's just like areas of the UFO phenomenon in general. That one explanation doesn't explain all aspects of it. If I see a bright light in the sky at night. It might be a meteor. It might not be. It might be something else. It might be an airplane with a landing light on. So you can't say, well, meteors explain all these cases because there were bright lights in the night sky. And, and I'm suggesting that sleep paralysis is something that may explain some of the cases. And when I suggest we look at the history of, of the abductee, uh, that comes out from other uh, um, uh, normalities in the statistical data. Mark Rodiker of the Center for UFO Studies told me in a preliminary study he had done that it seemed that left-handed people were overrepresented in the abductee population. I'm in trouble. I'm a lefty. My wife's a lefty. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> and so is President Obama. Is he an abductee? <laughs> Bill Clinton. Well, there's the problem. I, I, I'm trying to be serious about a subject yes. and explain that we have an abnormality in the deductive population examined by Dr. Rodiger, suggesting there are more left-handed people than are normal in the population, it might tell us something. It might not tell us something. Okay, well, that's that the was, point. You know, I'm, we're being silly about it, Kevin, but I understand the seriousness of this, what differs in terms of a left-handed person versus a right-handed person, etc. I don't know. I don't know if there's any significance to it at all. I'm merely suggesting that there may be something in the statistical analysis that might explain something about a portion of the population and provide us with some useful data. It may not. The, yeah. Well, the, Kevin, one, one problem you're talking about here involves uh, the source of the data. Now, uh, I don't know uh, where Rodiger got his, his uh, material because I think it's, uh, as far as I know, the question whether somebody's a right-handed uh, person or left-handed amongst the abductees when I'm interviewing them, or I think when other people are interviewing them, that's not a question anybody really seems to ask or pay attention to. So I just wonder, if I've worked with, uh, you know, seven or 800 people, uh, and I never asked a question, um, but seven or eight hundred people had I asked a question, and had we gotten a left-handed uh, bias in the in uh, the figures, that would be significant. But I I wonder uh, how how large a pool that Mark is dealing with. Uh, I'm not I'm not questioning his his research abilities, but just the uh, the data pools are kind of hard to come by. Hi. 
Hi, this is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. We won't bother you with unwanted messaging in your inbox or upon checkout, but most importantly, we care about you, our customers. Your satisfaction and happiness is our primary focus because your support means so much to us. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash namecheap where we host many great contests or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash namecheap. See you online. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. As you know, the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of the Paracast, Audio is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on the Paracast. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. We have Christopher O'Brien as our special guest host. This is an ultimate abduction roundtable featuring Dr. David Jacobs, Kevin Randall, Bud Hopkins. Kevin, you had a response. I was just going to say that, that uh, I, I believe that the Dr. Rodiger's pool of subjects was relatively small, and I'm not sure that, that it would translate into the entire abductee population. I'm merely suggesting that there are some areas of research, and I understand what, what Bud, was, Bud was saying about the, the traumatic aspect of this in, in some cases, and that you need to deal with that, as opposed to asking what would be general uh, research questions in an attempt to gather the data. I understand all of that. I'm merely suggesting that there's maybe areas in which we could, we could search that might tell us a little bit about the abductee population. It might tell us a little about, about the abduction phenomenon on a whole, uh, to, to reject information out of hand because we don't understand the significance of it seems to me not to be the direction we want to go. We want to understand what is going on out here, and, and is it a, a real physical phenomenon? Is it something that is imaginary? Is it something that is created in the research laboratories? We need to answer all of those questions, and I understand that there are cases, many, many cases, where there's multiple witnesses and there's multiple abductions. There's also, I know, one case very well, and Bud even mentioned this in his first book, uh, the Patty, Pat Roach case from Utah, right. which I am now absolutely convinced is a case of sleep paralysis, given the research that I did on the case originally and what I understand about it. Does that mean that all abduction cases fall into that category? Absolutely not, but it's a partial answer. Well, one, one quick thing I'd like to say is there's this question of triage involved in what I do. I, I, do, I do not get involved with people whose uh, 
who are having, let's say, a very happy, successful life in all departments and who seem to be suffering from no kinds of, of uh, traumatic after effects and uh, who, who uh, really just are looking into this for the matter of curiosity. So if I'm working with people essentially who, who feel some sort of damage from what they've gone through, which is the population that uh, that's the largest percentage of the population, I think, and the one I pay most attention to, it's very, very hard to start asking those people questions about whether they're right-handed or left-handed and, and so forth, simply because they feel, almost without exception, they feel that somehow or other there's something the matter with them because they had these experiences, uh, that they have been laughed at and rejected and had problems with their parents, uh, telling them that you just have a vivid imagination or whatnot. So therefore, they're not people who are uh, willing to sit around and do questionnaires because of the fact that they feel that's just another way in which they are being judged. So one has to be extremely careful and sensitive working with these people, uh, not to make the victim, so to speak, uh, feel somehow being that he or she is being victimized even more. Well, uh, you I'd like the role as a therapist as opposed to a researcher. I think I think that in working with abductees, the the uh, the two roles are so intertwined. But I'd like to, you know, if I may, I'd like to ask Dave Jacobs if, if his feeling is is that that one has to be very cautious about the questioning of those sort of non non UFO experience types. You know, I you know I think it would be handy to know whether people are left handed or right handed, and, and I, my, my sense is that there wouldn't make it would make no difference and that wouldn't be any difference in, in the general population. And the same thing with blood types and all the rest of that stuff. When, when people come to me, they fill out a questionnaire first, and um, uh, if they're having experiences that appear to be sleep experiences, I just don't see them. I mean, I just, I'm not interested in, in spending a lot of time showing how a person is, uh, you know, is asleep. And then if I may just interrupt move. a second, David. Now, when you evaluate this, do you submit this to somebody who has training and psychotherapy or something to look over cases that may involve other issues? No, what I do is they, they uh, write me a letter. I'll sometimes get back to them. Uh, I get, I've had thousands of people writing me, obviously, over the years. I can't answer everybody. And uh, for people who live around me, and if I'm free and if my schedule fits, uh, I will ask them to fill out the questionnaire. And uh, at that point, I can make a pretty good determination as to whether they've had the kinds of experiences that abductees have had uh, before they know that they're abductees uh, or not. Uh, I then talk with them. Uh, I then have them do other tasks for me. That is to say, read a short piece about the pros and the cons of going forward with this. I talk with them more. We go over their questionnaire. By the time they enter into my home office, uh, I've talked with them for a considerable length of time. And, and if there are, are psychological problems, uh, I, I tell them right away that uh, their, their situation is beyond my 
my area of expertise. And unfortunately, every once in a while, uh, someone will slip through. It's been, it's been rare, I must say. Uh, the majority of the people that I work with are, are normal individuals. Uh, they have no, no serious problems. Uh, some people I still see after 20 years, uh, they're uh, responsible adults. They're in positions of, uh, of authority. I've worked with uh, people who have uh, PhDs and MDs and who are attorneys and people who are high school uh, teachers and college professors and, and people who dropped out in the ninth grade and, uh, and who could never hold a job properly and, and everybody in between. Uh, I, I haven't worked with that many people. I've only worked with about 150, but I, I do a fairly long series of, of, of sessions with them, uh, and I'll see them for as long as they want. In other words, I, can, I may have... I take them on, so to speak, and I can see them for, for years if they want. I have not noticed any any significant difference uh, in, between them and the normal population. What I've noticed is that they just mirror the population, uh, and uh, uh, it, it's, it really is sort of the good, the bad, the ugly, in a sense. And it's uh, it, it's, it's anybody and everything. And I've also noticed that it cuts across all religions and ethnic lines and racial lines and uh, economic lines educational lines and geographic lines and, and everything else and uh, both Bud and I have worked with people from other countries and uh, they all say the same thing it's, it's, it's sort of a remarkable phenomenon uh, and one last point uh, the majority of cases that I've looked at the majority of events that I've looked at uh, take place in a, in, during the daytime when a person is not asleep uh, I've never had anybody who's had narcolepsy uh, uh, that I know of, and uh, or any sort of sleep problems along those uh, those lines where, where there's obviously a brain dysfunction of some sort. I think I'm working with a population that basically is is is, is a normal population for the society. Well, one thing that I wanted to to uh, mention, uh, listening to to Kevin's observation, is that you know I think an area that has not really been addressed in this whole area of, of investigation is some sort of standardization. Uh, I think uh, we have a lot of of people who are out there uh, attempting to help people, and I, I think this is a very good thing. Um, obviously, there's something going on, but I. I think if we somehow could come up with a standardized approach, I think that the quality of the data that we would then be able to glean from that would be, uh, I think, consistent uh, across the board. And that would give us opportunities to possibly learn uh, about trends, about uh, potential uh, Potential commonalities, I think, uh, th throughout the entire phenomenon, and I think one of the things that that, that I I was struck with Kevin's uh, observation is that we really don't have a standardized approach, and uh, I, I know. Uh, for instance, David and Bud um, have you know their own personal uh, approach in these things, and as do other uh, abduction researchers out there. And I think perhaps with something a little bit more standardized, uh, we might be able to actually identify trends. And and you know, so oftentimes I I make a point of you know really looking at the at not so much the answers that we're given, but it's the quality of the questions that we're asking to gain those answers. And uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, have you guys attempted to really dovetail your efforts? and come up with some sort of standardized approach? I, I, I'm assuming that you haven't. Can I take that? Yeah. Dave Jacobs? Sure. 
Uh, and I'll let you have it, but, but um, I have been working on a book on how to do hypnosis uh, with adductees. People who are regular hypnotists can't do it. People who are spiritualists can't do it. People who are in the New Age can't do it and, and all that. Uh, it takes a special kind of training and a special kind of questioning, and it also takes knowledge of the abduction phenomenon itself. And uh, I have a manuscript now that needs serious editing, but it's it's basically done, basically done. The problem is is that I feel that the market for a book like this probably is in the tens and tens, so I'll, I'll almost certainly have to, to publish it myself, but I think it is extremely important to do something like that. This has been something that I've been thinking about for years and years and years. The problem is is that it's pretty wild and woolly out there, and uh, anybody and his cat can do hypnosis. Uh, anybody can say the magical incantation and hypnotize somebody else if they want to be hypnotized. And then they can ask all sorts of, of, of questions that are meaningless or that lead people on or that fulfill an agenda of the hypnotist. And the, the results can be really, really awful uh, and, and, and un, unworthy of, of, of evidence of anything other than, than the uh, hypnotist's agenda. So uh, uh, there, there are very few competent people out there who, who know sort of what to do. Uh, in my book, The Threat, I addressed this issue sort of squarely uh, and, uh, and talked about the problems of incompetent hypnosis and the mutually uh, confirmatory fantasies that the, that the person who's being hypnotized can make, can do uh, with the hypnotist himself. And, and so um, I'm very happy that, that you're thinking along the same lines because this is, I think, is something that is needed. But Well, I completely agree. I have, of course, a standard way of working. But because of what I said about the uh, issue of triage, that, I, that people are coming in that I deal with uh, in various states of, of being uh, emotionally collected and, and calm and everything, very many people uh, uh, have a sense of distrust and so forth based on uh, things that uh, had happened in their life uh, earlier when they told people about what was happening to them without even knowing that they were UFO connected. But they can often sound very crazy. So these people are not easily approached at the beginning in some standardized way. The sad thing is, is that what we're doing um, initially starts off without any doubt as, as a sort of de facto therapy. Uh, it has much more the quality of, of a, you know, a therapist asking questions to find out the, the person's mental state and whether there's a safety net around them at home somehow, all those questions. Uh, but um, it takes a while to develop trust uh, where in somebody might be able to ask a, a batch of questions uh, that would seem very probing or perhaps irrelevant to the abductee, such as uh, whether you're right-handed or left-handed. But I, I certainly agree that we've got to be more standardized in the way we approach things. And I'm, I'm going to be giving a talk uh, this summer, a workshop uh, at uh, the MUFON conference on, on um, techniques of investigation of abduction cases. So uh, I'm, it'll be a, a sort of an effort towards some kind of standardized form.
picture this. You're on the phone with a client or colleague trying to explain something visual, a PowerPoint, a keynote presentation, a website. But it's frustrating because they can't see what you're talking about. The solution? Good news. They can if you invite them to an online meeting using GoToMeeting. Then they can see your computer desktop on their computer screen so you can show them what you're talking about. I use GoToMeeting all the time to collaborate with colleagues and with clients. You can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, but you must visit GoToMeeting slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for free. 30-day trial. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. We have our special guest host, Christopher O'Brien. This is the Paracast Ultimate Abduction Roundtable featuring Dr. David Jacobs, Kevin Randall, Bud Hopkins. Chris, you had a question. I'm, You know, one thing that's always kind of tweaked my curiosity, and that is that... that all you guys uh, tend to, to have your own uh, particular quality of cases, I think, that, that seem to be attracted to you and your work. And I'm wondering if you've ever really thought about why certain people contact you versus maybe contacting another abduction researcher, if there's any sort of rhyme or reason. Um, I, I, I seem to have this feeling that your particular work, as it, as it evolves over the years, tends to be a magnet for certain quality of cases that are attracted to you. Do you guys want to address that? Uh, well, for me, uh, they, they stumble upon my website oftentimes, or they've heard about me, or they saw one of my books or something like that, and, and they, they get in touch with me. Uh, and, of course, I get, in, I get uh, people from around the world getting in touch with me all the time. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's random, uh, uh, personally. Um, but but I never, you know, they, I will ask them sometimes, how did you find out about me? And they'll say, well, I just was going through the uh, the internet and I found your website and and found your questionnaire and that sort of thing. So uh, sometimes word of mouth and that uh, I will get people who who know other people who are abductees uh, here in the in the Delaware Valley where I live in Pennsylvania, and uh, and they will call me and that and therefore it's not random because they 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 they. Know know somebody but I think in general uh, you know it's there might be people who go to new age groups and you know and search for some sort of relief from from the odd experiences they were having in terms of, of getting some sort of intellectual control over it and they will then you know engage in new age therapists and, and hypnotists to try to find out what's what's with them and get new age answers uh, and and that would not be random I would imagine but uh, for me and I assume for Bud as well it's a uh, it's it, it appears to be completely random. Well, yes, I, I don't. I don't really think that uh, there's much uh, sort of unconscious or magical or whatever um, control to which leads somebody to a particular therapist. I, I think proximity has a lot to do with it. People in the New York area contact me. Obviously, uh, when John Mack was active, I think the people in uh, the you know the Boston area. Um, came to him. It's very interesting that I've had uh, several different people that I've worked with that uh, John Mack also worked with, and essentially what was coming out was uh, pretty much the same from uh, <laughs> no matter who was doing the hypnosis, it was the same situation, even though uh, John was one of those who thought that the, the people were uh, attracted to different 
researchers for diff- for particular reasons having to do with ideology or whatever. But w- what I found was we were getting exactly the same thing happening uh, and being reported whether D- Dave was working, whether uh, John was working with him or I was. And in one case in Istanbul, uh, John and I did a joint session with a hypnotic session, but uh, long interviews with a woman. Um, a, a, a Turkish woman, and uh, we got exactly the classic kind of thing that, uh, for instance, I had gotten with uh, uh, Kathy Davis and, and just many, 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 many women involving uh, some sort of production of some odd-looking baby <laughs> being forced to hold it and so forth. It was exactly what I get all the time, and uh, I think that uh, that John Mack wanted to feel that that there were, let's say, more benign uh, agendas out there, and that uh, uh, people were coming to me simply because I was I had a particular agenda. I, I don't think that's true at all. I really don't. I think it's it is random, as Dave said. Kevin, you had a response to any of this? Well, John Mack had said a number of times, and it's reported in. Uh, C.D.B. Bryant's book on the uh, abduction conference held at MIT, that he found a strange matching between the abduction researchers and the abductees, and he, and he wondered about that. And we wondered, and when I say we, Bill Cohen, Russ Estes, and I, wondered if that might be indicative, and I, and I say just indicative, that, that this proves nothing at all, that some of the belief of the researcher is communicated to the abductee. So there seems to be a more close matching between the abductee and the researcher than might be might be uh, expected. Well, I think my point being uh, in asking that question is you don't hear about cases, uh, let's say, for instance, that Leo Sprinkle has dealt with over the years that uh, that fall outside of his particular um, I think kind of built-in belief system around this this whole subject. In other words, he's not getting, to my knowledge, he's not getting people that have horrific uh, experiences and violations and hybridized babies and and the types of things that that possibly uh, you know you would see more prevalent. But but in David's work, I, I've always suspected and had a hunch that there is some sort of connection between the quality of your cases and the process that uh, that these people undergo to approach somebody for help. And, and I think that this could be a very important area for some sort of statistical analysis. In other words, I, I, I don't recall seeing very many cases uh, from the, our two guests that, uh, for instance, talk about uh, Love and Light and Benevolent Space Brothers and uh, how, how wonderful of, of an experience that these, uh, these encounters are. There are cases out there where these people where people, and I, I, I had a case myself that I did investigate pretty extensively. Um, I'm no hypnotist by any stretch and didn't attempt to do that. This is a fully conscious uh, series of events. But, but uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that the more dire-sounding cases tend to be attracted to certain types of, of researchers, whereas the, the, the opposite end of the spectrum seem to be attracted to others. Uh, uh, investigators and what do you guys I mean have you noticed this at all I mean how many positive abduction cases for instance uh, what, what would be the percentage uh, of people that have wonderful experiences but want to know more about them uh, how, how many of these types of cases have been attracted to, to, to the two of you well the first thing that should be pointed out again uh, UFO abductions are uh, extremely comp- complex events which have 
of moments in which the uh, uh, whether this is uh, induced or not, whether uh, sometimes the abductee feels this incredible sense of love and bond with the uh, abductor, and uh, yet very often that that changes as the case progresses to the fact that they have great anger and feel that this has been something that's been placed in their heads. I can understand can understand easily how somebody might sort of luck into the uh, the investigator may luck into uh, the beatific side of somebody's experience and just simply ignore the others and not even ask questions uh, that would uh, expand the context of what is being found out. We have to ask many many questions and I I think that first of all Leo uh, Sprinkle who's a wonderful person has a, a, a sort of a unusual technique and I remember sending a, a man who wanted a, a contact with uh, somebody who could help him sending him to Leo and um, he later reported to me that what had happened is that uh, Leo who's an excellent hypnotist could not seem to get him into a hypnotic state which I would suggest has is an issue of uh, trust uh, and he said uh, Leo then said let's change places I'll lie down on the couch and you sit in my chair and I will put myself into a trance state and I will tell you what happened to you Ouch. so I mean at that point this man was rather disturbed about this the basic message was that uh, Leo came up with was that, that the aliens wanted him to, to go back to his home and show more love for the people who lived around him. Well, at that point, you know, when we talk about getting what fits the person's agenda, I think Leo got what he wanted out of that. Uh, But I do think that these experiences are so complex that you can, if you do it very lightly, you can easily tap into a particular aspect of the experience, which... Uh, then can sort of, if you go by that as the only thing that really happens, it can warp your uh, data. So are, are you seeing that uh, the lighter the uh, the approach, uh, the deeper you get into a, a particular person's case, uh, the more nefarious maybe it sounds, the more negative uh, it is? No, I see, first of all, when we talk about negative and positive, my point has always been that uh, that the one of the most confusing things to the abductee is that they do not end up thinking of the UFO occupants as being uh, benign and friendly and helpful, or they don't see them as evil beings intent upon their destruction and so forth. It's the neutrality of of the aliens' apparent uh, behavior that is so upsetting to people because they don't know what to make of it. And that also, of course, allows room for the interpretation on the part of the abductee of, of what this is going to be about. If you're really, really hopeful, you might just uh, focus on the hopeful side of it. And if you're somewhat paranoid, you might not. Uh, but the point is it's, that these things have to be looked into in depth in a complex way. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. 
To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. This is the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. This is an ultimate abduction roundtable on the Paracast. Christopher O'Brien is my co-host. We're featuring Bud Hopkins. Kevin Randall, Dr. David Jacobs, notice that I vary the order of the names so nobody's ego is being offended. Mine is anyway. <laughs> okay, well, you know, that's deliberate. <laughs> Kevin, did you have a response before I drop something in? Bud has reinforced what I have said by, by suggesting that some researchers do pull out of their abductees exactly what they want to hear. So, I mean, that point, that point is made. So the question becomes how prevalent is that throughout the entire abduction research community and when we talk about that we're not talking just about Bud Hopkins or Dr. Jacobs we're talking about a lot of people including Leo Sprinkle and, and Jim Harder uh, or we're talking about Jim Harder or some of the other other people out there doing abduction research they seem to draw from their abductees what they expect to get and, and John Carpenter was talking about as they were, they and he and his assistant were doing hypnotic regressions on some of their clients. Was saying as they asked the questions, they knew what the answers were going to be, and so there seemed to be a suggestion there that there was an unconscious desire by Carpenter and an unconscious uh, directing by Carpenter toward the answers he wanted to get because they would sit there and say, yeah, we know what's going to happen next. And as the witness was talking about this, we were nodding and saying, yeah, we knew that was coming next. So in the totality of abduction research, we seem to see some of that sort of thing going on. Well, let me just add to that, that uh, um, uh, unconsciously uh, promoting uh, thoughts in a person that are complex is, is something that, that, has got, that, that, that would be a difficult thing to do. Uh, I, I, I've tried to do that with my wife, and I just, I just can't, can't seem to get that done. <laughs> but um, yeah, but the, problem, the, the problem is you do not have your wife in a hypnotic state. And people are highly suggestible. And it's really we should probably ask her that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the situation is this, that, that uh, hypnosis is not some sort of magical uh, situation where a person is completely and totally uh, in some sort of a trance and, they, and, they're, and they're trilby and the hypnotist is Bengali and, and anything that Bengali says they will do. It, it's not like that at all. Uh, a lot of people don't even know that they are in a relaxed and comfortable state. They just they, they look at me and they say, I don't think I'm hypnotized. Uh, and I say it doesn't really matter. Lay back down. And, and in, in some ways it doesn't, and in some ways it does. We know that hypnosis is it, it works. We know we have only learned recently that there are some uh, brainwave, brainwave changes in hypnosis. Uh, we don't exactly know why it works, but without it, we cannot get to the abduction phenomenon because people remember abductions. They'll remember bits and pieces of abductions, and uh, uh, it, it, it is a tool that 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 is tricky. It's, it's something that, that, as Chris says, needs standardization. 
uh, of methodology for sure. But let me tell you a story. Well, my, my basic question is, the question that all, from all other questions is, what happens next? A woman came to me once who was an older woman, and she was heavily encased in New Age material. And uh, that was fine. That was okay. And uh, we started doing, uh, we did two sessions. And in the first session, uh, this happened to her and that happened to her. And I, I like to start out in chronological order from the time before it happened to, to when it starts to happen and what happens is the first thing that happens in the second and so forth and so on. And, and uh and so she she talked about this, that, this, that, this, that, and all the way to the end, and there was nothing that she told me that was particularly new agey or spiritually enlightening or transformational or anything like that. And she was a little bit shaken because she had thought that this is what it was going to be. And she came back for another session, and the same thing happened. And I just do the same question that I do with everybody, uh, which is uh, a very, very, very non-agenda-type uh, uh, questioning. And once again, she just came out with a sort of standard abduction uh, event that, that anybody who does abduction hypnosis uh, will, will, will come across. And then she wrote me a letter saying that um, she was stopping coming to me because uh, she was not the re remembering the material that she wanted to remember. Ouch. She was just remembering stuff that had happened to her, not what she expected to remember. So her expectations were not realized, and I didn't particularly care what she was I mean, if she remembers spiritual things, that's fine. That's good. I, I'm glad she's having it. Having it that's fine. You know, I, I don't have a stake in it necessarily, but she did. And yet she could not come out with what she, she, she was just remembering what happened and that was that. Yeah, and I would just add, that has happened to me a number of times too, with uh, people with uh, originally very new age beliefs. Let me just raise, I think, the largest issue of all here, and this will go from part one to part two, and that is the efficacy of using regression hypnosis to unearth the tales in abductions. Now, I realize there are lots of pros and cons here, and whoever wants to jump in, go ahead. But isn't there the danger here that maybe you're using a technology that hasn't been shown to reveal really accurate results? Who wants to take that? Well, I, I can take that a little bit, and then I'll pass it off to Bud. When people come to me, most of them are acutely aware of several things. Number one, they don't want to be led. They know all about leading. They know that they're going to be vulnerable. They know that they're going to be suggestible. They don't want me to lead them. Number two, they don't want to be in a situation where they're unconsciously picking up things in popular culture and then parroting them back to me. They're aware of that also. Now, obviously, I don't want those things either. Uh, and, uh, and in my hypnosis, uh, I strive to avoid things like that, obviously. I'm not interested in bad data. So, so it's, but hypnosis is, uh, I think we all wish that we didn't have to use hypnosis. It's, it's, it, it, it's something that it's a, it can act as, an, as a gate, and, and for incompetent people, it can act as a barrier to finding out what's going on. What's going on. I mean, it can act as an open gate, rather. Uh, and, uh, but, but the fact is, is that if there was full remembrance of everything that was happening to everybody, we would have no abduction phenomenon. The abduction phenomenon would not be a feasible event. Uh, but in fact, it is a, an event that takes place clandestinely, and we we encounter people who remember odd things, who have lifetimes of odd events happening to them, uh, and they in some way know that this is not 
the way it should be. They, they understand it in a lot of different ways. But for a large percentage of people uh, who are abductees, uh, they, they cannot connect it to the abduction phenomenon at all, uh, their, their, their unusual experiences, that is. They don't make that connection, and so we won't see them. And, and so we, we do see the ones that, that in some way know something is amiss here and, and, and shouldn't be happening the way it is, and they don't understand why it is that they will have these missing time situations, uh, as Bud's uh, first... Uh, uh, book was was entitled uh, of two or three hours or even longer and not know what happened to them and nobody else knows what happened to them or sees them uh, and just to tell you a short story uh, I worked with a woman once it's an extremely intelligent and articulate woman who years ago worked um, in New York City in 57th Street I guess it was uh, as a laboratory assistant and she uh, had an hour for, for uh, lunch and she knew that she was going to go across the street and get a slice of pizza, and that would take about 15 minutes. And then for the next 45 minutes, she was going to go over, she was going to do shopping. So she went, she got her slice of pizza, she walked out of the restaurant. The next thing she knows, it was three hours later. And she's in a building site. There's a, a hole in the uh, in a lot with, uh, with 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 equipment, a crane, a digger, whatever you know, uh, down at the bottom. And she's on a walkway around it with a fence. And she has to walk around this walkway, and then she gets out through the fence. There's a little opening there, and she's totally disoriented. Doesn't know where she is. She gets back to her office, and her boss says, "Where have you been? My God, we thought you had been mugged or something. We were just about to call the police." And she went directly into her, her own office and called her physician and said, I think I've just had a stroke. And that was, of course, the correct thing to do because you're not going to have a period of three hours where you don't know where you are and you wake up somewhere else or you come to consciousness somewhere else. Especially in Manhattan. Right. Well, you don't you know, get a stroke she, in Manhattan just by getting around town every day and putting up with <laughs> the hassles of that city. Right. Well, the point was is that she did have an MRI, and she she went for it. She went through with it, and there was of course nothing on the MRI. Everything was fine. She did not have a stroke. She doesn't have a brain tumor. She eventually came to me, and we knew we found out sort of what had happened to her during that three hours. And we do it through hypnosis because people have these experiences, and they'll 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 you know, think about them for ten, twenty, thirty years. Sometimes some some sort of triggering event, something that they remembered, as opposed to all the rest of them that they don't. And when they finally come to to butter to me, and they and we and we look at them, they it, it's resolved. So they understand. Oh, I remember it now. Now I get it. That, that's what it is. And, it, and unfortunately, it's only hypnosis that does it. Now there have been other other attempts to try different techniques. There's holotropic uh, uh, or hel holotropic uh, breath work that John Mack used to do. Uh, other uh, researchers have done sort of a, a a situation where you clap your hands six times or whatever it is, and, and there's uh, EMT. There, there's uh, there's there EMD rather. There's all sorts of other uh, 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 treatments, but but the best one is basically just getting somebody to relax, to focus to sort of go back into the events of the, the time and, and start uh, reporting them. Now, this does not say that they don't say things that aren't true. I found that that does happen. And there is confabulation. And there, uh, there are false memories. And that does happen. And it's, and it's up to me to, to, to try to separate it out and, and, and try to say, you know, well, what if this is, I think this is, is, is important and this isn't important. For example, uh, there was a guy who came to me once and when he was a, a little 
kid. Now this is already you're in, you're in a, uh, a strange area here when you're like a five year old or something like that. And he and his uh, his mother and his baby brother had gone out strawberry picking. Now this was an event that he was in his thirties. He had thought about this consistently throughout his entire life. This was his triggering event essentially. And we uh, we determined that, that that he was in the back seat of the car and they were driving. And instead of going uh, strawberry picking he went to uh, they went to an area where there was a big water tower and they parked in a parking lot around it and there was an object there the next thing he knew he and his mother and the baby were being lifted up into this object and this happened to him and that happened to him and this happened to him and that happened to him and then they brought him back down he found himself in the back in the parking lot and he looked at the at the street which was right next to the where they had come in and he saw what was obviously a penny or something lying in the in the street he ran out into the street to get the penny, and a pickup truck barreled down on him. It was actually at the at the rise of a hill, and jammed on his brakes and and basically hit hit him. He went rolling down the street. His mother started screaming. The the guy in the truck said, "My God, where did he come from?" And uh, the next thing the kid knew was he was back on the object. And uh, they were working on him, these beings, and they said, told him that, that they had to take him out of his body and put him in somebody else's body in order to repair him, in essence. And uh, so they did that, and he told, he told them, put me back in my body. He was anxious about that. Put me back in my body. And uh, anyway, eventually they did, and then they all returned back to the car and went home and forgot the entire event. And I told well, him, well... You know, I thought that it's very interesting. Uh, my sense, though, is that a, a kid who's five or four or whatever is not going to say, put me back in my body. Yeah, I was going to say. Is, yeah, my sense is that a kid is going to say, I want to go home. Where's my mommy? I want my mommy. I want to go home. That's what a kid's going to say. And I just, and I'd never heard anything like that before. And so I told him that I, I just, I just, you know, we have to be very careful with that story. It, it, it's, you know, it doesn't match anything I've ever heard. And and uh, and he was sort of huffy about it. You know, he thought that that was exactly what happened, but I didn't. And uh, so I do think that there are things that, that that the hypnotist has to be responsible in terms of, about in terms of hearing things that nobody else has ever said before, and it, it doesn't become uh, uh, evidence. And 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 when you do hypnosis, uh, as as Bud knows, and and is all a series of know, you ask a series of questions that are calculated to find out whether a person is vulnerable and will be led and will indulge in confabulation and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and they're very subtle questions that have been worked out over the years. So it's not like we're just going in blind, believing everything that we hear. You want to have a response to that, Kevin, before we split for the hour break? What sort of response do you expect? I want to know what you think about the process. Of hypnotic regression? Yes, sir. I don't think it's a very, very good tool for investigation. I think it's too easy to lead people. I think it's, I think the people have a real, they, they wish to, they don't wish, but they are prone to please the operator. And even the most basic benign question can suddenly lead somebody in a direction. And, and we can see that in, in lots of different arenas. We see it all the time. But you you have to back everything up with some kind of concrete evidence. If we take a look at the satanic ritual abuse phenomenon that was prevalent in the 90s, we see an awful lot of people undergoing 
uh, hypnotic regression and remembering these horrific memories of satanic ritual abuse, and yet no physical evidence ever ever uh, surfaced to show that there were widespread satanic groups, cults out there committing all these sorts of crimes, and yet people are in jail for for those sorts of things, even though uh, the evidence did not support it, and and a lot of the data was was retrieved through uh, various hypnotic regression techniques. We'll return with the Varacast Abduction Roundtable. We have Christopher O'Brien as my co-host, Dr. David Jacobs, Kevin Randall, Bud Hopkins, more on the other side of the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, would you like to see the Paracast live long and prosper? Well, if you know of anyone who wants to advertise their products or services on the Paracast, have them contact us directly. Tell them to write to sales at theparacast.com. That's sales at theparacast.com. And we'll also accept your donations by PayPal. Send your PayPal donation to the same address, sales at theparacast.com. That's sales at theparacast.com. And thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Paracast. We have the Ultimate Abduction Roundtable. Christopher O'Brien is my special guest co-host. We're featuring Kevin Randall, Dr. David Jacobs, and Bud Hopkins. And Kevin, before the hourly break, expressed concerns about the value of using hypnotic regression. Bud, your response? Well, he he used a very interesting example. The uh, whole situation of the, uh, the sort of fad for uh, satanic ritual abuse, which uh, we knew about uh, quite some time ago. It was it came and went and did a tremendous amount of damage, and hypnosis was involved. But the interesting thing there is that when somebody comes to Dave or myself or another investigator, uh, they're already assuming that they had some kind of weird experience they can't explain, as examples of, that have been mentioned already by Dave or me. Uh, so they know there's something, some problem. But with the ritual satanic abuse, people were going to therapists for uh, some other kind of issue of self-esteem problems or whatever it was. And the therapist, who was the believer uh, in the satanic uh, cult idea, uh, said, no, no, you, it isn't just a matter of, of what you say it is, a, a drinking problem or some, some mundane kind of uh, emotional problem, but you were a victim of this whole kind of thing or of incest, whatever. And the person would say no, and they would say it's because it, you really it really happened that you're fighting it so much, and they would uh, eventually try to persuade the person that they had really been the victim when there was actually no recollection that the person had brought in to start with, and they'd put them under hypnosis and sort of more or less force them to come up with imagery. Now, that whole thing, of course, is totally reprehensible. And what eventually happens, we know, is that many of these people realize after the, if they were accusing some member of their family with, of incest or whatever, that never happened, um, and the families were sort of torn up, these people eventually uh, turned on their therapist, realized the whole idea had been planted, and uh, obviously 
you know, to get revenge and so forth, uh, sued the therapist, and many therapists uh, lost a lot of lawsuits on this or settled out of court. This is a case of what happens if somebody has an agenda and somebody is uh, trying to be led into it. They had to force these people, really, through many sessions sometimes, to come up with this material. And uh, so uh, eventually there were enormous problems, which somehow were attached to the process of hypnosis rather than to the forcible uh, forcing of an agenda, actually, by the therapist on the individual. My feeling here is that hypnosis is very much like just regular questioning. I don't really see the huge difference except the person uh, who has been hypnotized is in a very relaxed state. But you can you can lead somebody uh, into some conclusion that uh, it's a completely false one just through normal conversation. Uh, the great thing about uh, many uh, defense lawyers and so forth is that they can take a, uh, somebody who's uh, they're trying to defend, they can ask questions questions of the accusing witness in such a way that they're forcing that person into a position where his whole his whole idea of what had happened disappears. No hypnosis involved, but uh, the idea of forcing false ideas into somebody's mind is is something that is not limited to hypnosis. Uh, there, there are too many positive outcomes with hypnosis that that actually establish for a fact that it works uh, to 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 have any kind of a, a you know, blanket uh, attack on it. So it, it, it's to me, it, it's unfortunate, as Dave said, that we have to use it, but it, it's one way to fill in the blanks in the person's experience, UFO experience. It's a good thing we don't have any lawyers that are out there touting themselves as, as abduction researchers, I suppose. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Yep. Well, have there been any abduction researchers who maybe have taken somebody who believed they had been satanically ritually abused and changed their opinions into uh, claiming they had been abducted? Uh, could I have that again, Kevin? It's a little hard to hear you. Are there any uh, any abduction researchers who have taken people who maybe thought they had been satanic, ritually abused, and, and changed them into abductees? Well, I don't know about changing them into abductees. The people who, I mean, I've never had anybody come to me thinking they had been uh, victims of satanic abuse or anything like that. I have had people who had very odd experiences that they thought might have been incestuous experiences uh, where as we looked into them uh, detail by detail turned out to not be involved with anything incestuous but actually uh, they turned out to be an abduction experience which uh, again fitted other abduction experiences or other odd experiences that had all their life long I have a question. You're unfamiliar, you're unfamiliar with that happening, and not, not necessarily to you or to, to Dr. Jacobs, but I'm thinking of a specific California researcher who did that. Uh, it's a little, I'm sorry, Kevin, would you go, go over? It's a little hard to hear you. You're thinking of a Californian situation? There, uh, there was a researcher in California who lost his life because people had come to him uh, believing seriously believing they've been satanically ritually abused and guided them into beliefs in alien abduction. Oh, yeah, well... Using hypnosis, and when somebody said, well, I can't get anything, they said, well, make it up. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you guys engage in that. I'm suggesting that when we're looking at the totality 
of alien abduction research, we're getting an awful lot of stuff in there that that is contaminated by all this other stuff. Well, when I try to make points, I get shouted down. Yeah, well, I, I think that, that that's another reason, as uh, Dave and Chris have suggested, that we we should have this far more standardized than it is to avoid that. One of the uh, basic methods that I use, and I hesitate ever to talk about this because it, it's too useful, but at any rate, uh, when a person is very relaxed and, and I'm asking a question, often the question is uh, uh, what's happening now or whatever, something very neutral, but often I will slip in a, uh, um, a false lead uh, and uh, I don't want to <laughs> explain any more anything more about that except that in one case uh, with a little boy this is just a conversation that involved hypnosis but he was had been telling me about these little people in the room and this is part of a, a very long complex family story too uh, that he was uh, taken out of his bed and he was fluttered up to the beam of light and he went into this round thing and so forth and it was sounding very frightening. It sounded very much like a real induction, of course. But at any rate, he said he went into this room, and I said, uh, well, it's round space whether it was a table, and I said, well, stop right here. This is very, very important. I have a very important question. When they take you into that room, they always give you something to eat first. Now, what did they give you? Of course, they don't give anybody anything to eat. And this little child looked very perplexed. This is just normal conversation. And looked very sad. And then he said, well, they didn't give me anything to eat. You know, which was, uh, of course, a very nice little test that uh, I was not getting uh, just a simple invented child story. That brings yeah. up a, 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 a point that I wanted to make, uh, and that is, I've been uh, I've been listening to this, and I, one of the things that I've always wondered is how come there are, there are not reports of people needing to use the lavatory? while they're, they've been uh, gone for X amount of time. The first thing that, that happens to me in the morning when I wake up is i I got to go to the bathroom. Uh, and uh, I don't – have you guys uh, ever thought about that? I mean, is this is – yeah. this this what are your thoughts on There has – one woman uh, was abducted, and uh, she told them that she had to urinate. She had to urinate, and they just said, no, don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. Is it okay. And she just urinated in the hallway. And, uh, so the aliens don't have bathrooms. No. Well, not that I've ever seen. But no. um, then she looked back and she saw somebody cleaning up the urine. But that does happen. And, and uh, it, 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 what happens more is that is that they're abducted. Let's just say if it is at night, uh, and they're not wearing their glasses, and they'll complain. Well, I, I you know I don't have my glasses on, so it's hard for me to see. You know, and yeah. in dream material, it's not hard for anybody to see anything. Uh, but this is this is this is one of the uh, this is a problem that I run into uh, far more often. I had a case day where a woman, uh, remembering this as a little girl, uh, she had been taken along with her little sister who was something like two or three, and when she was in the craft. And of course, she was totally frightened. So was her her little sister. And the, she said that she looked over and was very embarrassed because her little sister was urinating on the floor. So uh, we do have cases like that, but we don't know what happens in a something like this Travis Walton case of five out five days. Um, but um, you know, right. it's just well, the, I'm, 
I did investigate a case that was five days, and and the woman indicated that they that they used a catheter on her and uh, and just pressed on her abdomen, I guess, and she was able to urinate that way. And so the but, aliens, therefore, do not have a standard bathroom or biological waste system, perhaps. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links that's the forum links at theparacast.com Bud Hopkins, Kevin Randall, Dr. David Jacobs joining us for an ultimate abduction roundtable. Christopher O'Brien is my co-host, and we're exploring a lot of the implications here. Now, one of the things that comes out of left field here is the fact that we tend to take what they say at face value. These must be aliens, maybe we have hybrids, etc. But when you read books from Jacques Vallée and others, you get the impression that when we encounter other intelligences, there's a lot of deception involved. Why should we, Dr. David Jacobs, assume that what they're telling us is a literal truth? Well, um, uh, it, now, Bud and I are going to differ a little bit on, on the situation. Uh, Feel why free. You know, we can allow you both, by the way. We can allow you both if you want to disagree. That's what it's all about. Go ahead. Well, are you saying why uh, the why we take abductee as, uh, material at face value, or why do we take what aliens say at face value? Why do we take any of that at face value? How do we know it's not all deception of one sort or another? Right. Well, for me, um, uh, to me, for me, there are there are certain areas of confabulation that I'm very, very careful about. Number one is uh, is um, a description of uh, of aliens and what they look like. That's and this happens in, particularly in the early going, uh, early sessions. Uh, but the number two area of confabulation is recounting alien dialogue. The problem here is if all communication is everybody reports is uh, telepathic between aliens and humans uh, and and I say well what do you mean by telepathic how do, how do you, what's your sense of that and they say well I get an impression in my mind which converts it to words and I know I have to get up on the table uh, well the problem then is what what prevents a person from getting an impression in their mind from their own thoughts Confusing it from as coming from outside of their mind, and then telling me that that is what the aliens told him or her, and the answer is nothing. 
Nothing prevents that at all, and people will, in fact, do that, especially in early sessions, I found anyway. So that's a, that's a red flag area when, when they tell me what the alien said to them, unless it's something like get up on the table or we're not going to hurt you or stuff that we hear constantly and all the time. And, uh, but if it's the wisdom of the universe or, 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 or their, their plans for, for what they're going to do with humans or something like that, uh, I just, I, I wait for confirming data. I, yeah. I, I put that on the back burner. I'm very, 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 very wary of that and I'm very careful about that. Uh, because, uh, because people uh, can't be believed at all times. As I said before, they will confabulate. They will say things that are, that are not true. And it's up to the competent hypnotist to understand that and, and to be able to, to say, well, this is not quite evidence yet until other people, preferably lots of more people, say exactly the same thing. But even then, how do we know it isn't all some form of deception? That the aliens, whatever force is behind these things, how do we know that this isn't just some kind of message they want to deliver to make people think this is what's happening, but we have no way of knowing the underlying truth, do we? Right. Well, from what I found, and, and uh, most of the gray aliens don't do an awful lot of talking. And when they do, it's not very substantive. They're very, very, uh, I'm going to say closed mouth, but uh, even the word mouth probably doesn't apply. <laughs> but um, they're, they're, they're not forthcoming about what they're Sure, but, they, but how do we know they're even gray aliens? How do we know that even that is a real thing? Well, what you're looking at, of course, is the preponderance of evidence over a long period of time. Now, you have to understand that, that, uh, that Bud and I know that there's a strong physicality involved with these abduction events. Uh, people are physically missing from their normal environments when they're abducted. People are abducted in groups. Uh, people return wearing other people's clothes, with, uh, wearing them without their own clothes, with unusual marks and scars, and even broken bones in their body. Uh, and and uh, they don't know how they got it. And, I, and believe me, if suddenly you had a broken arm, I think you'd remember how you got it. Uh, and uh, But this is not the case with abductees. And then there's a lot of other physical aspects to it as well, including witnesses seeing, seeing other people being abducted and may or may not be abducted themselves. So uh, uh, against this background of physicality, there are these experiences. And people, when people recount their experiences, they recount them in really extraordinary detail. Not always, but oftentimes in extraordinary detail. Down in precise detail, down to what instruments are used uh, and and uh, how they hold this and how they do that and what's happening now, and and they do that across all abductees. In other words, they all say the same thing. If this were psychological, that physicality, of course, would not be there at all. Okay, but I'm not talking psychological, David. No. Maybe you're not catching where I'm going with this. I'm no, saying, I, I, go ahead, Bud. Well, I'm well, I, I, I was going to say, I think, what I think you're really saying is uh, we uh, d people describe seeing gray aliens with uh, big black eyes, and maybe they're actually uh, uh, huge uh, green aliens with one eye in the middle of their forehead or something like that. There's something behind the imagery that we're shown, that they're really not in a UFO. They're on Mars or something. Or, or they might be on Earth. They might be oh, in the center yeah, of the yeah. Earth with their telegrays. What are they? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so I mean I don't th I think that's the kind of philosophical question that really can't be answered in any particular way because you can say that uh, you know move from the experience the abduction experience to to UFOs themselves maybe they don't look like that maybe they're made to 
in some way we are made to see them as round or triangular or whatever it is, and they're really something completely different. Uh, you you know the or they're manipulating us. Let me, let me follow up with this, Bob. Or if you look at the image in the movie Contact, where the alien came to the Jodie Foster character. In the mm-hmm. form of her father, because that was the way she'd understand and accept. Yes, right. We, That's we a deliberate effort. They are deliberately tailoring what they look yeah. like to what yeah. we expect to see. And we are now expect to see gray aliens. Maybe in the 1950s, we expected to see the Klaatu character with the silver uniform from Dave Earth stood still as George Adamski did. Maybe in the 15th century, it was leprechauns. Well, you know, some of these questions are impossible to answer, uh, especially when you get into historical situations. But the, the point is that uh, if it starts somewhere, if there, the, the gray aliens are seen uh, someplace and then they're seen again, um, and then they're seen again, I guess you could say, well, behind the gray aliens is another different alien form or something or whatever that they're just projecting that image now the same way that we know that they can do screen memories and make a, a child think it's Bugs Bunny in the room there with them or uh, somebody can see a huge owl or whatever uh, we know they can do that sort of thing but uh, is there any kind of uh, rock bottom uh, imagery behind that that is the real image and there's no way to answer that question Right. Yeah. The, the point is, is that this is the evidence we have, and it's consistent, and it goes. Uh, it, it's it's all the time. It's and it it's it does not change over time. We haven't seen it change over over the decades uh, because of popular culture or something like that. Obviously, if that were the case, uh, we would be reporting that. But that is not not what we see. Not not what we hear. Well, and, well, and are, are you are, correct about that, David? What if you go back a few hundred years where they were seeing beings that seem to be more reflective of that society. I mean, since Barney and Betty Hill, we expect to see aliens, don't we? Well, but Barney and Betty Hill were uh, were already uh, a long time ago, and uh, and a uh, half century ago, whatever, and and uh, consequently, you'd think that there would be change over that half century. And the answer well, is, no, because we have close been. encounters, we have ET. You know, Chris, you had a question about this. Yeah, I, you know, there's a there's a few things that, that really come up uh, in this regard, but uh, one of the things that I've I've been interested in finding out more from uh, from both of you is. Uh, do you think that there's a possibility that there's some sort of, uh, in the words of Stephen Greer, some sort of governmental or military uh, industrial complex conspiracy that may be behind a portion of these cases? And if so, uh, is there any way to really determine? Um, I'm kind of taking uh, Gene's, I'm applying Gene's question here a little bit. Um, I You're allowed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a very interesting case of uh, of a gentleman who claimed that he was part of a military uh, team that was going out in the Midwest in the uh, early to mid-70s and performing uh, what could be described as classic alien abductions uh, with the help of some sort of uh, psychological warfare techniques. Uh, have, you, have either of you, uh, in the many hundreds of cases that obviously that uh, over the last 20-plus years that you've uh, been involved with, have either of you seen any sort of indication that we may be dealing with some sort of 
sleight of hand on the fact of some sort of human agency? Well, I'll just try to answer this very quickly. I've never run into anything that would suggest uh, a, a sort of a mock abduction scene that was somehow constructed. But uh, I have. How about Barney into- and Betty Hill? I think that has indications of possibly being a mock event. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to go back arguing about the Hill case. It's, it's, I'd rather stay with the things from my own experience. Sure. But this is this is an important thing. I definitely um, have found instances where there seemed to be uh, some sort of uh, interest in certain abductees uh, that would suggest a... Um, a governmental branch doing some kind of black ops for some reason trying to, uh, uh, in the case of Kathy Davis, uh, trying to, uh, I suppose, retrieve an implant or some such thing, that she she remembers this thing in, uh, consciously, and it seems like there's, there's nothing involving a UFO or uh, it took place with normal humans in a, in a normal, somewhat hospital-like place and so forth. Uh, I've heard a couple of things like that, that's very rare, but it wasn't a mock abduction, really. It was a, maybe a literal abduction of the earthly sort. But again, there are many cases where there seem to be people who have been in the military, in the branches of service, who have had abduction experiences, who then were interviewed later uh, by military psychiatrists and so on, and uh, apparently drugged, at least uh, uh, three cases that I've worked with, and then seemingly uh, get put through some kind of, uh, uh, some process that's to scramble the memories and scramble the brains, so that what comes out, what they talk about the next day, isn't making any sense, really. Uh, but I definitely think there's an effort there. Now, Dave and I disagree on this very strongly, uh, that there's a, a, a some sort of branch of the government or the military, whatever you want to say, that takes care of these issues sometimes. Uh, but I think that uh, the evidence that I've run into is very persuasive. David, your response. Right. Well, I I have not run into into that kind of uh, of evidence, and um, I, I have run into people who think that they've been abducted by the military, and each and I looked at those cases, uh, and each time they realized that uh, that it wasn't really the military they thought it was, and they remembered that as being, uh, but then they realized no, nope, it wasn't. Uh, so uh, what I've often said is uh, is that uh, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that the, the military can abduct uh, people, uh, people, for example, like uh, bin Laden or whatever. I think and, if they uh, abduct him, they're going to take a gun and say, go ahead, make my day and shoot him. Yeah, I think it would be a little bit more than in, uh, some sort of uh, probing going on with that guy. Well, they might do the probing and uh, kill him. It certainly would be the the end to wars. It would uh, that that kind of power to, to abduct people uh, from the government. It would be uh, and not have anybody see it or know it would 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 be the ultimate sort of power. And uh, and if anybody gets it, I, I I would hope it's our government and not anybody else's government. But uh, in other words, I don't have any stake in it one way or the other. But I, I have not seen evidence for it myself. Hi, 
This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. We won't bother you with unwanted messaging in your inbox or upon checkout, but most importantly, we care about you, our customers. Your satisfaction and happiness is our primary focus because your support means so much to us. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash namecheap where we host many great contests or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash namecheap. See you online. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Dr. David Jacobs, Kevin Randall, Bud Hopkins, special co-host is Christopher O'Brien. Kevin, now that we're into the government equation, what's your feeling about all that? Do you think that some of this stuff may have been staged by the government? No, that's the short answer, no. <laughs> Let's have the long I don't, one. I don't, it logically makes no sense. The government, the military certainly doesn't have that kind of power to influence that sort of thing, although we have any number of people who suggest that, starting out with um, Warren from the uh, Endelsham case claiming all sorts of things that the government did to him during his eight months of military service. I, don't, I just do not see anything to suggest that whatsoever. According, according to St uh, Stephen Greer, uh, he's the one that just keeps uh, popping into mind with this particular aspect of the, of the questions. He seems to think that all abductions are being done by the government. I think that's rather ridiculous uh, assertion myself, but uh, he would re reflect, uh, I think, one side of the benevolent Space Brothers uh, equation that would then try to, you know, in some way, shape, or form, put all negative abductions into some sort of a boogeyman military government context in order to, uh, you know, to have that uh, benevolent Space Brother type scenario, uh, I guess, be, you know, something that he could really, really get behind and push. Uh, uh, another thing that's always kind of puzzled me about this whole phenomenon is the apparent level of technology uh, in terms of state-of-the-art. Um, oftentimes, I encounter in reading some of these accounts uh, levels of technology, medical technology, that's behind where, where we are uh, in terms of our state-of-the-art. Have either of you noticed any sort of trending uh, in terms of the types of, of procedures that are being performed, uh, the types of equipment that's being used? Are we seeing any sort of progression in, in possibly a level of technology or agenda. I know, David, you've, you've really honed in on this whole idea of hybridization and that they're getting ready to, uh, to you know, place hybrid, uh, uh, you know, now I guess you would say grown or, or almost fully grown hybrids into the culture. Uh, has this been something that has evolved over time, for instance? Um, have we seen any sort of progression in terms of the, the level of technology? Uh, something about this whole thing medically 
in terms of the actual procedures that are being performed, does not make sense, uh, at least right. to me. Well, uh, first of all, there, there has been a progression, and of course, uh, you, you you hit on it for me. The the change over time that I have seen most is 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 the number of of. Uh, is the importance of the hybrids uh, within the abduction scenario. Uh, in terms of technology or uh, or medical procedures, uh, that I have not seen. Um, but what you're looking at is is very advanced types of, of procedures that are going on. In other words, uh, uh, how they can examine a person just by touching them with their fingers is something that we cannot understand. And and every single machine that's ever been used uh, on an abductee, we have no knowledge of whatsoever. I think I, uh, I was only able, for years, I was only able to identify one aspect uh, of a, a, a medical procedure, and that was um, they would take an instrument and run it across a person's foot and the foot would flex. And that would be a reflex test of some sort. <laughs> and then another point, I was reading a book on neurological examinations, because that's what I do for fun. And um, It sounds exciting. I, realized, I, bet, I, I bet the endings are really fascinating. <laughs> I, I just can't wait to get to the end. Yeah. Um, I realized when reading this that... Um, a procedure that was puzzling uh, for years and years that even Barney and Betty Hill, uh, Barney Hill said, uh, where they, these beings would take their finger and thumb and run it down his backbone, his vertebrae from the neck down to the coccyx and back up again. I could never understand what that was, and I realized that it wasn't a bone examination. It's my theory, and it wasn't a bone examination. It wasn't a growth examination for kids or anything like that. But basically, it was a neurological examination, and they were in in some way uh, 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 dealing with the nerves, uh, the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic uh, nervous system, I guess, that runs down the backbone. And and those are the only, that one I think I'm right about, the reflex, the other one I, I hope I'm right about, but it's a good theory. And uh, and all the rest, we just, we just don't know because they don't tell us what it is. And if you ask abductees, what is that machine for? You're asking them to sort of guess. You're saying, they'll say, well, it's, it's taking a look at my, it's, it's like an x-ray machine. It's looking at my ribs. And the answer is that they don't really know what it is. Because but isn't, you know, we're still assuming here that these are physical events with physical creatures doing physical things. And we don't know what's really going on under the surface. Maybe there are no machines. Maybe it's all generated as a, some kind of hallucination caused by an external source. But the one thing I wanted to focus on, David, and obviously we can't answer that today, your feeling about hybridization. So you feel that the aliens or whatever they are want to create beings that are part us and part them, aside from the genetic complications, for what purpose? Well, we don't know the ultimate purpose. That's that's something that we don't know. And once again, if this were psychological, we would know the ultimate purpose. People would just make it up as long as they as they make up everything else. But we don't know what the ultimate purpose is. But what these beings say, and what hybrids say, and what everybody else is, tells me, uh, and have been for years and years, is that uh, is that this is a, a a a program whereby ultimately everybody will be together here, and everybody will be happy, and it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be great. And people have seen scenes of, uh, of, of, of uh, and I've, I've mentioned this particular scene uh, oftentimes because it's so reflective of it. Uh, for example, a picnic where people are standing around a grill where they're talking, where they're playing ball and this and that and then grassy area and all that. And the person will look at this 
sort of screen-like device on the wall, and, uh, and, they'll, and they'll say, can you tell the difference between you and us? And the person says, well, no. Uh, what do you mean, tell the difference? Everybody's the same. Well, isn't that a way of taking us over then? I mean, we're giving this this paradise image saying, you know what, if we develop these hybrid beings and they take over, the aliens will be in control. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, it, it, it doesn't sound good to me, I must say. Uh, it, 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 the, the problem here is that uh, if this is a neurologically based um, uh, manipulation, uh, they can control our ability to think, to see things, and we can't control them. And that makes us not just second-class citizens, but a, a kind of second-class species almost. So it, it's sort of frightening, and I, I don't like to hear these things. And I've done tests in hypnosis telling people, um, now, I, I don't want you to tell me anything bad. Don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear anything about the, uh, this, that, or the other. Just don't tell it to me. And then I'll do an induction, and then they go ahead and they just they couldn't care less what I told them. They just tell me the same thing that has always happened to them, you know. And uh, I have not been able to prove that these are in some way just coming out of their own imaginations and not what they're actually seeing. What about the but, ubiquity, though, David? The fact that so many people are having this kind of experience. I mean, obviously, if we look at alien logic, let's look at the physical explanation. The aliens come here. They want to find out more about us. They take a few genetic samples. You know, we'll have male, well, female, left-handed, right-handed, black, white, yeah. Asian, whatever. How many the, samples the, they need to take? Right. This is a, a model, of the experimental model that, that, that we derived actually from some of the early uh, cases, Ben Barty Betty Hill and Antonio Villas-Boas to a certain extent and, 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 and some of the other ones from the 1970s. I have found that this experimental model, the model that suggested that it's a study that they're learning about us, that the evidence just wasn't there over the long haul for that, that it was much more than that. I mean, how many times uh, do they have to take a person to find out whether if they poke them with a needle, he's going to feel pain, you know? Right. And um, uh, so uh, I found that uh, that it, for me it did not hold. And what I uh, what I found was uh, something that was much more consistent with a program. And as a program, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it was goal directed. And uh, that's where the, the hybrids, uh, uh, you know, began to intrude in themselves more and more into people's uh, uh, accounts. Uh, as as I realized, well, this cannot be a, a study. It doesn't make any sense as a study. Uh, however, even now. Most abduction researchers still use the word experiment. They're experimenting on us. It's very difficult to sort of to get to shake free of those uh, of those statements. But I just didn't find the the evidence for it. Either. What have you seen, Kevin, in the studies you've done about all this? What it seemed to me, and, and, and you touched on it briefly, was that the experimentation being conducted by the aliens seemed to be uh, very backward. They are able to travel interstellar distances. They have defeated that tremendous technological uh, problem that, that we have not yet been able to defeat. They can travel these interstellar distances. They can get here, and yet their genetic experimentation is backward. It doesn't seem to advance. They're doing the same thing today they did 10 years ago. And, and, and I think uh, Gene or Chris, I, I don't remember who pointed it out, that how many uh, genetic samples do they need? If they're collecting DNA, why not just abduct the uh, the hair behind the barber shop and collect the DNA that way? Why why are they doing it in such a, in, in an invasive manner? And if well, it's theatrical too. It's, 
There seems to be an element of theater involved there. Yes, an element of theater. But if they have the capability of doing these sorts of things, how is it they're incapable of totally erasing the memories of the abduction? That, that, that even somebody with very little training in hypnosis is able to, to break through the hypnotic blocks erected by the aliens. Why are they unable to completely erase the mem- memory? Something that, that, that our technology allows us to do, uh, completely erase memories. So basically uh, so the screen so memory may be the entire abduction. Pardon me? The screen memory may not just be a surface memory of something like an owl preceding an abduction, but the entire abduction itself may be a screen memory of some sort. Why not erase the entire episode from the from the mind of the of the abductee? Kevin have the capability of doing that. Why do they, they? And they've been studying us for fifty years, sixty years, one hundred and fifty years. They should be able have been able to develop that capability by now, and yet they they seem incapable of doing it. Well, Kevin, you know what, one of the base most basic problems in the whole thing is to go right back to the beginning and say why is it that UFOs are seen sometimes and sometimes uh, they may register on radar, but they're not seen. They can seemingly be invisible some of the time and vis- highly visible some other time. So. Uh, why is that? There's a why. Why don't they stay invisible the whole time or whatever? I mean, there, there are many, many problems. Well, but, you know what? You what? raise a point here, Bud, and I want to throw something out here: the area of theatricality that a lot of the UFO sightings may be strictly a show for us to see. It could be a diversion for what's really going on. I don't know. A show. They the make a decision to either be piece. tracked or not. They make the decision to be seen or not. Yeah, well, I, I think that's one of the, uh, the huge problems in the whole thing. Uh, this is why, again, as, as Dave would put it, it doesn't sound like it's made up because if it's made up by people, there are going to be a clear, clear answers and clear reasons for everything. But, but one quick thing I'd like to say about why there might be lots of abductions, and this is, uh, I mean, what after they've already got the program going, why they continue. Continuing it, um, and uh, I, I just was working with somebody who, uh, whose uh, grandchild seems to have been abducted, very small, uh, within the past year. Anyway, the thing here, I've, this thought has passed my mind. Um, there seems to be there seems to be a very strong alien interest in human emotions, and they seem to set up as I've described many times, sort of these. Uh, uh, little scenarios inside the craft uh, where the abductee is put through some kind of uh, problem, puzzle, fear, whatever, and uh, the aliens seem to be observing that person as if they're, so to speak, picking up those emotions, and perhaps they're learning the emotions from what they uh, can learn from that individual. And uh, it's then possible that uh, uh, the, an individual alien, whatever we want to call them, is uh, in the situation of, of a child trying to learn how to ride a bike. There's no way to learn how to ride a bike that you can be told through instruction. It's just a very simple thing that the body has to pick up the kind of balance that's necessary to make the bike go and not fall over. And so it may be that individual occupants of UFOs have to each one, one by one, pick up a range of human emotions uh, from the uh, abductees that they're, they're picking up. 
it's possible that that might explain some of the uh, the vast numbers that are involved here, which I admit is a huge problem to the whole thing. Why so many? For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We have an Ultimate Abduction Roundtable on the Paracast featuring Bud Hopkins, Kevin Randall, and Dr. David Jacobs. Our guest co-host is Christopher O'Brien, who is champing at the bit with a comment. I am indeed. I hear I... it now, the sound of champing. <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. You know, one of the things that I've, I've kind of prided myself uh, in my uh, investigative work out in the field is coming up with new and creative out-of-the-box ways of attempting to gain better quality data. And one of the things that's always puzzled me about the abduction research is how come nobody has come up with a way to somehow gauge uh, the, the, the types of experiences that are going on ahead of time. We, we, we know of many cases where there's a pattern of abduction that, that's, that's maybe not predictable in terms of the actual uh, night that it's going to occur, but uh, it seems that there's that there's an opportunity, a window of opportunity here for us to, um, uh, for instance, uh, W.C. Levengood came up with an idea of, of putting curlers in, in, a, in an abductee's hair and, uh, and, and, and putting unsprouted seeds in, in the curlers to, to try to analyze the types of, of energies that obviously, if this is a real phenomenon, th- th- there's got to be some exotic types of energies that are being, that are being uh, utilized and, you know, to, to put ungerminated seeds into uh, small curlers in someone's hair, then you can then analyze the seeds once the person has come back. How come nobody ever grabs anything aboard a ship? Um, How come we don't have any sort of physical evidence uh, that has been acquired by abductees? We're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases, and to my knowledge, there's never been a person that's been able to grab something or come back with some irrefutable evidence that that they actually were taken somewhere. Uh, Who would like to take that one? Well, I can I can start and, and give it over to Bud. Uh, first of all, when people are taken aboard the object, their clothes are removed. So if they're going to find something and, and hide it, there's only a few places uh, almost unthinkable where they can hide it. And um, they're also they're they're under mental um, uh, control. They're, it doesn't even occur to them usually to take anything. It's, it's it's not like they have consciousness of the fact that they're being abducted and and, and they've got to find proof. They just this is a situation that's been happening to them for years and years and. and 
and uh, their their senses are blunted in essence. Having said that, uh, I did uh, uh, try various experiments early on uh, with this phenomenon, and one of them was uh, putting a radiation badge uh, in a person's nightgown. And nobody would know the difference. And uh, this was uh, uh, one that, that I, I, I subscribed to a service where they would read it. Uh, and we, we measured the background radiation. I mean, we knew where the background radiation where she lived was so that they would see if there was any radiation on board the object. And she was abducted, came back with the radiation badge. And I sent it to this outfit in Rochester, New York, uh, for for a reading. We know that there probably isn't any radiation, but this would sort of confirm that. And I waited and waited and waited, and I didn't hear anything. And I finally started calling, and I couldn't get an answer. And then finally I got the answer. The company had gone out of business, taken my radiation badge with them, and that was the last I ever heard of it. <laughs> but but this, these well, are areas that... One, Dr. Jenkins, let me interject one thing here. Bravo for you to you for doing that, attempting to, to, to gather some physical evidence that way. That, that's, that's the kind of thing that I've always been talking about. We need to think of these sorts of things so we can gather the sort of evidence that we need. So bravo for you for giving that a try. But yeah, the question I, agree. I would have is how come we have no videotape? Well, videotapes is the first thing I ever tried, and, and I've had many, many people sleeping underneath a video camera. And the problem with that... About, I'm thinking about all the video cameras out there now, today. All the videotape, we've got, we've got wonderful, wonderful videotapes of, of meteorite falls. On my blog, I actually have, I, I, I put a video bar on there that has meteor falls on it, so you can watch these things. We've got security cameras all over the place. We've got... Uh, police cars with cameras in them. We still don't have any videotape. Right. Uh, this is a very promising area of research, actually, and and and, and I, w I would like to uh, do to do something like that. Uh, what you need to do is you have to you have to have a videotape trained on a person's residence, and uh, and see if anything unusual happens in that way. Now, of course, there would be no abduction phenomenon if this phenomenon would, did not take place clandestinely. And when people let's say they're abducted, they'll go as but an I know, right, through walls and ceilings and windows and so forth. And the problem is, is that people on the outside don't see that. Uh, now, maybe they're cloaked, maybe people are made to turn away, or maybe they're just not seeable. I've, I, that's the that's attack that I take, that they're just invisible in that, that particular period because they're going right to a, a solid object, which makes no sense whatsoever. And once again, if this were psychological, people would just say they wanted to walk through the, they went into the door, opened the door, and walked out. You know what I mean? Because they wouldn't have to put these roadblocks of believability in front of them by saying they went through a closed wall or window. But anyway, but that is something that, that, that really needs, that's, that's a very promising area. And I would like to see that. I'd like to see cameras trained on homes and apartments, not just on streets and on, on businesses, which is where, where, where the majority of cameras obviously are. And, and maybe we can pick up something that way. And, and, and we'd have to target certain people who are abductees. And we'd have to set up a camera somewhere, somehow. Uh, but this, I think this is doable. And, uh, and I would, I would definitely like to, to have this happen. This is good. You know, the problem is, is that you have to remember doing abduction work is, uh, for, for Bud and for me, uh, all the money comes directly out of our pockets. And, uh, for 
you know, transcripts and things like that. Every time a person comes into my house, it costs me a, a pretty penny. I don't, neither of us charge anything. Uh, we don't have a large staff of people around us who are willing to perform tasks. We have no funding from any institution or, or anything like that. In fact, uh, as an academic, if you do this work, it's not a good career move, as I tell graduate students who are interested in this. <laughs> Let's be, they want to stay as far away from this as it's humanly possible if you're wanting to get a job in academics. So we're at a, at a great disadvantage. And and the more help that we can get, the, the better it is. And, and, and there's, there's an awful lot of smart people out there who, have, who can put their minds together and figure out ways to detect this that, that I don't know yet. And, and I, I'm a great believer in that, absolutely. Let me ask you a left field question that occurred to me about the hypnotic regression. Does it always have to be done in person? Can you do this on the phone or have you ever done it on the phone? Uh, yes, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of people out there who don't live with, you know, who live a thousand miles away from me and all that. Uh, and I, I have done phone hypnosis with people who I have worked with and who've moved away. And I used to think to myself, gosh, I'm doing this on the phone. People will think I'm completely crazy until I realized that there's a huge uh, psychology of phone hypnosis, phone therapy world out there just for that reason that people can't get to, to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And so I was comforted by that. Uh, the only person who I never met who uh, was this woman who's been stalking me, unfortunately. Uh, and that, that was a mistake, and, and, and I, that became a, ma a major problem. Every other person I've had sessions with first, and then they, they would move away, and I would still have some sessions on the phone. Now, the sessions aren't quite as good, and they're not as thorough, uh, but, but they're satisfactory for the, for the person who's, who's remembering the experience. I want to ask one question since you brought it up without going into detail. The woman who's kind of stalking you or going after you, that person has released tapes of these sessions. Are you aware of to whether they've been edited, that you're actually hearing them, or have you even bothered to hear them? You know, they can't, uh, they have to have been edited because my hypnosis sessions with her uh, lasted from uh, three to four hours. So I don't know how she can do that. I, I have not seen, I have not gone through everything. It's, it's too hard for me. The sections that I have heard have been edited. And I have not been able to go through all her material, you know, one, one piece at a time. But uh, my, my sense has been, uh, obviously, that it's been very heavily edited and that uh, everything she has done is, is tries to put me in a very bad light. And it's just a shame. As I, as I was saying before, it's been a very, very painful uh, situation for me. And I don't know when it's going to end. Uh, I have a feeling I'm in for the long haul with her, maybe even for the rest of my life, actually. So uh, I think that people should realize, though, that, that uh, there is another and, and very, very different side to, to the story that, that you're not hearing from her. Okay, looking at abduction research as a totality, Kevin Randall, in the next few minutes, can you tell us where you think the best approach could be taken to learn more about what's going on? I think we need to, as you say, look at the totality, not only uh, understand that, that the people coming to, to uh, Bud and, and Dr. Jacobs are suffering, and, it's, and, and, and they clearly are, but look at the things that we might be able to do to learn more about the abductions, and it may be simple things as gathering statistical information, we, we need to, to, to take a look at the possibilities of the videotape because everything is videotaped today. There are cameras everywhere, and they're not just pointed at the streets, but they're pointed all over the place so that if something happens in a city, you've probably got three or four different views of it. That's what we see on Law & Order, by the way. They always have the cameras 
which show the crime in progress. Why would you need them? How about the 27 cameras on the Pentagon during 9-11? But we we need to look at all the avenues available to us for research. We need to gather some good, solid physical evidence. We have to understand that hypnosis is not a pathway to the truth that that people can confabulate under under hypnosis there is a phenomenon known as pleasing the operator where you can subtly lead somebody under hypnosis no matter how carefully you are to avoid that but we have to look at all of those sorts of things and we have to move abduction research from case studies and and, and that speaking as a researcher and and, and not a therapist but move it from case studies into a, a, an arena where we can gather some solid physical evidence and find out exactly what is going on but Hopkins, what do you have to say about the future direction of abduction research? Well, one quick thing about the videotape. The uh, the question of, of uh, uh, these things being seeable, these events, abductions, being seeable or not, whether they're invisible. One of the most important things about the um, uh, Linda Kotila case is that this was, a, this was one instance in which apparently the aliens were showing off and let everybody see what they were doing at 3 a.m. in Manhattan, and many people saw what they were doing and saw people floating in the air going up into the craft. Um, so, you know, I've, I've dealt with, with witnesses to that event, even though it lasted about a minute, a minute and a half, something like that. So we know what, would, what these things would look like if they were seeable. They're usually not seeable, and that's the point. It's the reason why we don't have videotapes of people floating up to UFOs. Uh, so we might have a, a real problem making that uh, the um, omnipresent uh, video systems work. Uh, but the point is, as Kevin said, um, uh, hypnosis is not a reliable path to the truth. And neither is just sitting down and having a an interview with somebody under normal circumstances where each one has a cup of coffee in hand. That isn't necessarily necessarily path to truth either. Uh, in every case, a person can uh, confabulate or be mixed up or be telling the truth, whether they're under hypnosis or not under hypnosis. So we have to use every possible method, and I agree totally with the idea that we need to get uh, as much physical evidence. This is why I've gathered um, photographs of of the scoop marks on people, and we've re- recently had two different people biopsied by uh, doctors to see what we can find out about those uh, scoop marks as a medical thing. And it's why the reason I have been collecting over the years uh, people's drawings of symbols that they've seen inside craft. I've now got uh, something like uh, approaching 50 of them, different samples, which match very, very heavily. That's extremely valuable. Uh, Valuable physical evidence to me, uh, but I would like to get from Kevin as an invitation for him to send me a list of questions, issues that could be put into some kind of a data form uh, that could be filled out by abductees uh, without scaring them, or making them feel like without them. Okay, but, we don't have uh, much time left. Kevin, is that a good idea for you? Absolutely, it's a good idea. Okay, you know what? We'll follow up on that in a future discussion. We don't have more than a couple of minutes left. So, Kevin Randall, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you do and write about. They can take a look at my blog, just known as A Different Perspective. You can type that into your search engine or kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and you can you can see uh, what I'm talking about there. I'll be talking at the uh, MUFON Symposium uh, this coming July 
the, the, the main one. I'm doing a tribute to Len Stringfield and his research at the, at the symposium. So I'll be there, and they can come and bother me there if they want. <laughs> oh, I may have to do that. Okay, where do we bother you, Dr. David Jacobs? Well, uh, I have my website at ufoabduction.com, uh, www.ufoabduction.com. And I'm, of course, at Temple University, where uh, I'll be for at least another year anyway as, as retirement begins to loom larger in my mind and seem more attractive to me. Well, I wonder after this episode, maybe you're ready to leave right now and say, I've had enough of this stuff. Well, you're, you're pretty close, I have to admit. <laughs> it's, it has figured in. <laughs> We always want our show to be an enlightening place for people to pursue. Oh, right. Bud Hopkins, where well, do you find more of the reached, things that you do? I can be reached at uh, our website, intrudersfoundation.org. Very simple. And um, uh, I have a, a new book, which was a, uh, a memoir called uh, Art, Life, and UFOs, and it has a great deal about how uh, I was led into the um, subject by um, people's uh, other adventures that they told me about, and I found, found myself compelled to look into them. And I will also be speaking at the uh, uh, conference in, that uh, Kevin alluded to. Okay, so I'll put you two together and maybe set up some kind of discussion. That sounds interesting. Christopher O'Brien, our guest co-host, what are you working on? Where can we find more of the things that you're doing? Well, uh, we've just signed a deal for a seven-camera, high-res, Internet-capable triangulation coordinated uh, surveillance net of the San Luis Valley that will be on uh, various cell towers and mountaintops uh, covering the beautiful San Luis Valley 24-7. It's probably America's uh, hottest spot for UFO sightings, and uh, it's a vision that I've had for 20 years, and it's finally becoming a reality. Uh, people can uh, visit my website, which is OurStrangePlanet.com, and uh, I want to thank Gene and, and our guests for uh, a real enlightening show. I really, uh, I really, I learned a few things, and uh, and I really do admire, you know, people in this field having the courage to get out and really do the the heavy lifting in this field. What was really nice is that we could have four people, very opinionated people here: Chris O'Brien, Bud Hopkins, Dr. David Jacobs, Kevin Randall. And we can hopefully shed light on the situation without a lot of heat, except if you live in a cold climate where we need the heat. So once again, guys, thank you all for joining us this week on the Paracast. Well, thank you. Thank you. You need a final word? I need one. <laughs> Just Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was great, Gene. Good job. Standard of Power on Mobile Radio is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Powercast.